You're listening to 30 for 30 Plus, presented by the Mini Countrymen. My name is Jody Avergan. This is our series of bonus conversations about some 30 for 30 films. With our second season of audio documentaries just wrapped, we're sharing one more of these bonus episodes to cap off 2017, and then we'll be back in 2018 with lots more. But this week, we have a hidden story from one of the most legendary teams in NBA history. During the 1996-97 NBA season, the Chicago Bulls were on their way to a fifth championship in seven years. Head coach Phil Jackson had the task of managing three NBA superstars, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and the notoriously eccentric Dennis Rodman, also known as The Worm. Many tales about this team have come to light over the years, but director Colin Hanks recently unearthed an episode that involved the Bulls' athletic trainer at the time, a 20-something nobody in a locker room full of huge personalities. Here's Dennis Rodman describing their first meeting. I asked him, I said, what do you do here, man, right? What do you do? He said, I'm an intern trainer. I said, what do you do? All you do is walk around and do nothing. That trainer's name is Wally Blaze, and he ended up on a wild 10-day journey with the hard-partying Rodman, launching an unlikely lifetime friendship between the two. It's the subject of the new 30 for 30 short, Wally and the Worm, and it begins with Rodman getting injured late in the season. There was only four weeks left of the season. Phil Jackson came with the plan that he could go to Orange County and train and rehab there. I was unaware that I was part of this plan until I was summoned to Phil's office. You're going to go with Dennis. You're going to live with him for about 10 days. You're going to do his rehab every day. You just kind of keep an eye on him in case Dennis decided to wander off the reservation. Here's my conversation with Wally Blaze and film director Colin Hanks about this story and what it has to say about what life is really like on a championship basketball team. So this film is about you, Wally being tasked to not lose Dennis Rodman in 1997, right? Yes. Today, Dennis Rodman, we were told, was going to be at this interview with us, and he disappeared. I can neither confirm nor deny if that was ever going to happen. Wally, you didn't do your job. <laughs> you you yeah, lost yeah, Dennis I Rodman. Lied. Well, <laughs> hence why I'm out of the job. <laughs> we had to animate it. Uh, but he, he actually you know, showed up. In New York, apparently, and he's not here with uh, us. I don't know if you guys know where. Well, no, he, he didn't. Is. He never made it. Oh, to he me. never made it. No, to me it, we had been talking back and forth of coming to this, and he was up for it. And then last I heard, he was in Hawaii. And so the worm will show up whenever the worm shows up, which seems to be his mo. But I guess that gets at something that this film talks about, which is like it's not an act with him. I mean, he really is hard to pin down, all over the place. This is not for show. He's, you know, a lovable but unpredictable character, kind of the way he was on the basketball court. I guess one thing that occurs to me is that you have many Dennis Rodman almost being lost stories to choose from. So why is this the one that you decided to turn into a film? Well, basically, the the whole real gist of it was is I was reading Phil Jackson's book, Eleven Rings, and there was a paragraph in one of the chapters uh, dealing with the Chicago era and it just said, this one time, we sent this young kid off to go babysit Dennis Rodman when he injured his knee, and we weren't about to leave Dennis in Chicago by himself, but he couldn't come on the road with us for this big, long you know, road trip. So we made this kid watch him. And the stories that we heard when they came back were hilarious. It was like almost famous meets get him to the Greek. 
And I laughed out loud. I just said, I want to see that. I, I want to see that movie. And it just stuck in the back of my head, something about, you know, sort of a fish out of water, a young guy thrown into the world of Dennis Rodman at the height of, you know, was there such a thing called Rodman mania? It, it probably. I'm sure there, I'm sure there was, but pretty much, you know, the worm at the height of his powers. I just thought that, you know, there's bound to be amazing stories. And, um, Luckily, Dan Silver, who was at ESPN at the time, I told him this story and I said, yeah, but I just, I have no idea how to do that because the amount of money you guys pay for budgets, I can't, you know, recreate a helicopter, (laughs) you know, Lamborghini chase through Los Angeles and all these things. And he said, well, animate it. And that was just such a brilliant idea that I was just not even remotely thinking about because... You know, I had no experience in doing, you know, anything with animations. So the story kicks off with Dennis Rodman. He's injured in the run-up to the 97 playoff. So he needs to heal up. As as you said, Phil Jackson charges you, Wally, with taking care of him. And he basically hands you a list. Phil gives us instructions. First one was, we're not to go to Las Vegas, no matter what happens, no matter how he pleads or tries to entice me. And the second one was to report in every day with Chip Schaefer, the head trainer. And then the very top of that list says... Don't go to Vegas. Don't go to Vegas. Why is that number one on the list? Rule number one. Well, you want to lose Dennis quickly, let him go to Vegas. But the, the great thing about this was the first time... Why it's made such a good story it was first time for all of us because they had I'd been friends with Dennis just being on the team, but they had never really charged me with hanging with him or babysitting him. And this obviously grew into then a whole another year of these adventures. This was the original one, but don't go to Vegas was twofold. One, he's supposed to be rehabbing, and still to this day for pro athletes, mid season All Star weekend, any chance you could for them to be able to take a break, Michael, any of those guys to get to Vegas and blow off some steam is a treat. So we're still in the season. The rest of his team's playing. Phil wasn't going to make this like a vacation. He was trying to at least hold some discipline to Dennis. Fine, you can't stay in Chicago. You can go to Orange County, but you're still going to rehab and you're going to be accountable for something. It is interesting, though, that NBA players kind of take these breaks in the middle of a season. I mean, it's normal for a, a coach to tell one of his star players, like, go somewhere else, rehab, and we'll see you in two weeks. You at the stick time, with the team mid-season? no, I'd say at the time it was pretty uh, cutting edge. You know, and that, that's why Phil's been so successful. The, he could deal with personality. That's why he won eleven rings. To let a guy just go and disappear from his team mid-season—that's it's pretty forward-thinking. Did you feel like you learned anything about Phil Jackson or just the way that basketball teams work in doing this film? Obviously, there was a reason why I was reading Phil Jackson books. There's just something about Phil and his philosophies and the way that he does things. I. I don't like the Lakers, but I was reading books about, you know, the seasons that he would be coaching the Lakers. I think there's something interesting about team chemistry and trying to get everybody on the same page uh, while also, you know, what are the stories that you don't hear about when you read the paper every morning? You know, what is the life like for for these teams, these these guys? Because there is a side to... Dennis that is protected you know they wouldn't be going to all these great lengths and doing all these things for Dennis if there wasn't someone there in the core you know at the core that you care for and you want to do things for and and that you know when you get characters that care for each other like that that's you know that's the kind of stuff that you want to try and get 
Dennis is reading the paper and looks up and says, you ever been to a NASCAR race? I'm like, no. He's like, do you want to go? I'm like, all right. I'm going to get a helicopter. We're going to go over there, land in infield. He said, you bullshit me. I said, no, bro. And it's like ordering a limo, but it's a helicopter. Have you ever been in a helicopter? I'm like, no. He's like, good. You sit in the front then. Obviously, he's, what, 6'10", with bright blonde hair and sunglasses and piercings, so he, he can't hide. As we're leaving the speedway, obviously, Dennis summons the helicopter, and it, like, drops in. We had a line of people waiting to get on this helicopter. It was almost like apocalypse now when you're pulling away and people are waiting on the rooftop, waving, you know, to try and get choppered out. When Dennis was taking you on helicopter rides, taking you to a NASCAR game, did you feel like this is someone I care for, or did you feel like... Oh, God, what have I gotten myself into? There was this fear, and it was it's kind of cool you think back on it now. I was trying my hardest just to get a job in the NBA and as an athletic trainer, so I was so happy that the Bulls trusted me to go and take care of one of their top players and do the rehab, and you know, I had the support from Chip Schaefer, the head trainer, and for Phil to think of that. And I'm sure Phil was thinking more from the babysitting side than the actual therapy And so I was a little nervous when all of a sudden we're already breaking the first rule and we get on the plane and we're already headed to Dallas. We haven't even gotten to California. But at the same time, Dennis, he's the first person to want everybody to have a good time. So for him to take me to a NASCAR, rent a helicopter, every day was almost like an adventure for him. Like, what what haven't you done in your life? And I'm going to make it happen. You know, the whole just the idea of carrying around a bag of disposable Kodak cameras and anybody that wanted to meet him. And Colin only got to share... He has all the photos, a few of them, but I'm talking sports celebrities, rock stars. We're in L.A. They want to meet him. You had to take a picture with me. What what you're saying, though, is interesting because it's like it's not like Dennis is. I'm going to live my life and do what I want to do. And, and the, all these people are just going to be along for the ride and they can't get in my way. It's more like I want to do stuff for other people. I want to. Yeah, like it's, it's in like way. in a weird way. It's OK. I'm a celebrity. I really don't know how to handle it, but I'm starting to like it. But it's no fun by myself. Yeah. So I want you to enjoy it too. So you've never driven a Lamborghini? Well, here, I'll drive a Lamborghini. You drive a Porsche. You know, you've never met Prince? Let's go over here. I know he's sitting there by himself. I'll, I'll get away. And, I mean, Dennis once, I wanted to see Led Zeppelin. He got me to meet Robert Plant and Jimmy Page. He doesn't, you know, he likes them, but he didn't even know they were playing. I said, yeah, they're at United States. He's like, well, let's go. And I was, we went backstage and in between like encores, we're backstage talking with them. Next thing I know, at the end of the night, we're sitting there with Jimmy Page in his dressing room. <laughs> and just because Dennis is like, if you want to meet him, we're going to do it. And he, if he could share that celebrity side of him, it, it made it more to him. I think it, you know, I guess when you become those type of people, when you're everything and everybody think they know you, it, you get so insulated. I think being able to share that with people you trust makes it more fun too. We grew a bond together. And from that time on, the, like, it was said in the movie, we were together for the next season and a half. Everywhere he went, they sent me with him. Coming up after the break, Wally discusses the unique role an NBA trainer plays in a locker room and how their contributions are often not physical, but mental. Dennis always say, I've shown you a good time, haven't I, bro? You, you've, had, you've had an incredible life, haven't you? This guy has went from being nothing been powerful. Michael Jordan called me almost famous. Michael's like, that's you. That's You're that kid from that movie, man. You're almost famous. I said, yeah, I am almost famous. I noticed that Dennis's hair is a different color in every scene. Yes. Why? That was one of the two rules I gave the animators. <laughs> Not having much experience. The other experience. one was No Vegas. Well, no, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, I didn't have a whole lot of experience working with animators in the previous docs that I had done. 
And I actually pulled a page from what I call the Russ Solomon playbook. Russ Solomon uh, was a founder of Tower Records. And one of the things that he did was he said, you hire the right people and then you get the fuck out of the way and let them do what they want to do. And then you refine it and then you go from there. But don't give a whole bunch of rules and micromanage. And so basically we, we found these, uh, these great animators and I said, look, here's the deal. It needs to be colorful and vibrant. And I think it would be cool if Dennis has different colored hair every day. Which That's isn't it. that far from where it, Dennis was in real life. No, pretty spot on. <laughs> At least weekly he had new hair. Yeah, yeah. I think in the finals he did almost have different hair for every game. When you're animating, you could like basically go in you know any direction. Yeah. Was there stuff either in this story or that you thought about with the animation that like didn't make the cut that felt like, oh, maybe this would push it too far? Well, I mean, there were certain things that we had put in that couldn't get by the lawyers just because they didn't want to imply things. Ironically, they weren't things that actually happened. You're being way too circumspect. Well, Just yeah, no. So the scene where Wally and Dennis get to Dallas and the cops come and shut down the party, but then the cops join the party in the kitchen. And that dinner led to Dennis hitting the nightlife of Dallas. He even owned a nightclub. And we went there until the club was closed down. Then he threw another party in the kitchen. And then the police showed up and then they joined the party with Dennis in the back room. I'd never seen anything like this before. We had had a shot where uh, not only does like one of the cops shooting a gun up in the air, but then we also gave one of the girls in the party the gun as well. And they're like, you can't do that. Cops would never give someone else a gun. And we're like, okay, well, we're not saying <laughs> that that happened. It's an, it's, a, it's an animation. It's a joke. You know, there's like a lot of liberties here. Yes, of course, but that it's lively. It's loose. It's not meant to be taken so dramatically seriously. So there were those things. Story-wise, there really wasn't too much that we had to edit. I mean, you sort of gave us a good, fun, well-told story. I really enjoyed working with the animators and sort of giving them those free reins. Tuesday morning, wake up, typical fashion. Dennis is standing right over me. Come on, cuz, wake up. You gotta get up, bro. Sleep when you're dead. We work out. I report back into the bowls. And we head over to get Dennis fitted for his new Lamborghini. They literally flew a mechanic from Italy over. I drive my Lamborghini. I said, what kind of car do you want to drive? He said, what do you got? I said, I'll show you. And he said, all right, you take my brand new twin turbo Porsche and I'm gonna drive the Lamborghini and let, let's go for a ride. That relationship between training staff and players is really interesting because players probably spend more time with the training staff than anyone else during a season. Yeah, I will say the greatest thing about being an athletic trainer at any level, whether it's the high school, college, but certainly in the pros, it's the one place where the athletes spend the most time in the pros. It's their sanctuary. As you all know, in the media, it's the only sign in the locker room that says no media allowed. You walk in any NBA locker room, mostly it's all the reporters sitting in the players' lockers waiting for the players to come out of the training room because they're hiding from them. And it's the one place where it's a sanctuary where the players can say and do anything. You spend more time together in an 82-game season than any member of your family. It's just by coincidence. You're in the locker room, you're on the airplane, you're on the team bus, you're in a hotel. 
and you're their mom, you're their team psychologist, you're, you're you know, you do every school nurse, you're there to take care of, and it might not even be an injury. They just, you know, they want to vent about the coach, you know, and the coaches, good coaches know that they let that training room be that go ahead. I'm not going to come back there. That's when you really grow a bond with these guys. But I wonder for both of you, do you think Dennis Rodman would have a, like a place in today's NBA? You think about Detroit Pistons, Dennis Rodman, he'd probably be one of the top 10 players in the league right now with everything he could do with the fact that it's just launching threes and then kicking back out. Look what he did, you know, getting 18, 19 rebounds in a game, you know, and then turning. So you think he would just stand on the basket, get a board, kick it back out to someone, they'd shoot a three, he'd get a board, they'd kick it back out. Especially with the way the game is now, just fast paced, Mm -hmm. get it out and run. He's actually the perfect size center now in the league. He's 6'8", and he wrestled, you know, Back in the day, he had to go against Kareem, and then he was going against Carl Malone and Shaq, and he's the littlest guy out there, and he had to play center for us. Now he's out there where there's really, what, Dwight Howard's like one of the biggest guys in the league, and now you can he can go out there, outrun Dwight Howard. He could lead, he would make an outlet pass and be out there leading the break if you see some of the highlights of him. I think he would be phenomenal. And what, what was the thing that you had told me in terms of like a lot of the other athletes that you that you worked with that Dennis was the most – machine-like in his regiment in doing weights. That dude just had nonstop energy, right? He, he really was. He worked hard, very hard. And more you say than he most had athletes. no off switch in the film. Yeah, he really didn't. You know, th- that was no exaggeration with the amount of times Dennis would wake me up and say, let's go, bro, you sleep when you're dead. It came to the point where the only time he wasn't at practice on time is if he was at his house with probably a celebrity companion they would send me over to his house and i would just knock on the door and wake you know grab him and say let's go and he would come to the gym and just bust it out no matter how late he'd been up the night before and that's why i like wally you can call wally any god day and watch wally do one thing shake your hand and hold you as a friend brother and wally can't tell me anything different if you can wally i'll be right here baby i'll be right here my arms are always open I'm always open to hug you as my friend. Um, all right, Colin Hanks, Wally Blaze, thanks, thanks for doing this, and congrats on the film. This thanks for having thanks us. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks, Colin. Thank you. Nice job. That's Wally Blaze, who worked as an athletic trainer in the NBA for 19 years, and Colin Hanks, who directed the new 30 for 30 short, Wally and the Worm. We've included a link to that film in the show notes, so you can go and watch it right now. It's also available at ESPN.com slash 30 for 30. It's great and fun and actually shorter than this podcast, so go and check it out. And if you haven't listened to all nine, yes, nine of the podcast documentaries we made in 2017, you can hear them all right now at 30for30podcast.com or by clicking the link in the show description. This episode was produced in association with Transmitter Media, Greta Cohn, and Katie Simon. Our very own Ryan Nantel also did some heavy lifting, and we got additional support from Kate McAuliffe, Colin Fleming, Aaron Lydon, Jenna Anthony, Vin D'Anton, Taylor Barfield, and Alex Bowen. Our theme music is by Rishikesh Hirway of Song Exploder. My name is Jody Avergan. Thanks for listening, enjoy your holidays, and we'll see you in the new year with more 30 for 30.